0: book of Exodus, okay? Last week in our message, The Bloodline of Faith, the Lord gave us a perspective on Moses and Aaron that we didn't have before. As He introduced us to their families. Within their family, we saw people of faith that trusted and followed God as well as murderers and liars. Through Through the lineage of imperfect and flawed individuals, God showed us that it didn't matter where we came from, but what mattered was where we were going. The Lord sees our potential even when we don't. And this week, we will see how the Lord takes two ordinary men and starts them on the road to the extraordinary in our message today called The Rod of Faith. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the opportunity to come to your house. Thank you, Lord, for this message. We'd ask God that you'll please direct and guide every aspect of it. Lord, I would ask God that I know you've spoken to me, but I would ask now that you would speak through me, Lord, that the words that I share would be the ones that you would choose, not the ones that I would choose. God, help me to disappear, that your word might come forth in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter number 7, verses 1 through 13. Exodus 7, verse 1. It's in the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be Thy prophet, okay? So this is an interesting thing. What we see here, this way this works out, this arrangement is unique to this instance and this instance alone. Moses is the only time where God's ever going to speak to one man, give him prophetic, and then have him speak to another man who's going to then share. So what he says is, look, you're going to have the truth. You're going to share with Moses, and Moses is going to speak for Or or to Aaron, and then Aaron's going to speak for you. The Lord is foreshadowing the relationship that he and Moses will have once Moses fully embraces his calling, okay? Moses will have a highly unusual and incredibly intimate relationship with God. In Deuteronomy 34.10, it says this, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, right? This form of communication with God was unheard of. Just look at how God describes it. Now, what, there's an instance when a, a woman by the name of Miriam and her husband Aaron stand against, that's, that's, his, that's Moses' very brother. There'll be a time in the wilderness when they're going to stand against Moses. And what's going to happen is God's going to describe his relationship that he has with, with, uh, with Moses to Aaron and to Miriam. Okay, listen to how he describes it in Numbers 12, verses 6-8. And it says, And he said, Hear now my words, this is God saying, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant my, my servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. Moses is special to me. Within him, with him, will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, meaning plainly, and not in dark speeches and the similitudes of the Lord shall be old. He says, look, not, not using associations or anything else, just telling him straight up. And it says, wherefore... Then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? He's thinking, he's like, what are you guys thinking, man? Do you not realize Moses has a special place with me? And Moses is special to God, even in the midst of this time where he's struggling to be faithful. He has a hard time trusting God. Again and again and again, God keeps reassuring him, and yet Moses is fearful. Remember, God sees Moses for who he will become, and that's key. God always sees us for who we can become, not who we are in the moment we see ourselves for our failures we ourselves see ourselves and we look in the mirror and we go well I got this problem and I got this problem and I didn't do this and I didn't do that and so many times we remember where we dropped the ball as opposed to where we succeeded and that's where Satan remembers and he wants to beat us up with it but God does not remember us that way he sees us for who we can become Moses at this point doesn't understand the extent of the role that he's going to have in the future As God's going to use him he thinks his role at this point in, time is, in point in time is just to be the deliverer now not only will God use him as a prophet to his brethren Right? But he's going to use him actually as a prophet to all of mankind. Because if you think about it, God's going to use Moses to actually write the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Le- Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Right? He's going to get to write the history of humanity. The Lord is saying, follow my orders. Follow my orders. Just do what I tell you to do, son. Just follow along. Verse number two. Thou, speaking to Moses, Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto unto Pharaoh that he send the children of Israel out of his land. Notice he uses the word that I command. I command. He says, look, right now, bottom line is, you don't have enough faith. All I need you to do is be obedient. We talked about before, when we don't have faith, the one thing we can always fall back on is obedience. Just do what we're supposed to do. The Lord is basically saying to him, follow my orders, boy. Verse number three. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. We talked about before what that means. It doesn't mean that he hardens his heart against his will. It means that Pharaoh's heart's already hardened. He already has decided. He already has made up his mind about how he feels about the situation. God's saying, let me say, I'm not going to impact him with compassion to try to change it. I'm going to allow him to stay the way he is. The hardened heart was Pharaoh's choice, not God's choice. God does all things for a purpose. So why doesn't he affect the heart of the king right in this moment. Why doesn't he affect Pharaoh? Now, think about this. The hardness of Pharaoh's heart is an opportunity for God to show his strength. God's going to reveal to us why it is he's doing this. Now, would God allow suffering and hard times to continue in the lives of his people? Would he allow it? Yeah. Does he allow it? Yeah, certainly. There's opportunities, bottom times, where, you know what, God's going to put us in a situation or allow us to be in a situation that's really, really tough. Some of us have been, I mean, gut-punched time and time and time again. We may feel like, man, my life is a mess. My life is a mess. My life is a mess. But I'll give you a a little bit of hope. Psalm 34, 19 says this, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Those that follow me, those that try to honor me, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But, love the word but, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all deliver with them. God allows us to go through these times and there's opportunities for either him to show his power or to teach us something that we need to know for the future. How many of us have got a story of something where you were hurt in the past where now God has used that hurt story and allowed you to help somebody else through that story? Amen. Story of my life, man. Story of our lives, my wife and I. You think, man, why in the world are we going through this? Why are we going through this? Why are we going through this? This doesn't seem right. We're trying to do right. We're trying to be righteous, man. I'm, I'm honoring God with my life. Why in the world do I find myself here? Because God says, You just don't know what's coming. You need some tools in your tool belt because there's some repairing you got to do in the future, son. Pay attention. Trust me in the midst of this. Trust me in the midst of it. And one day, when you get a heavenly perspective, you're going to go, Wow, I'm so glad I went through that. Moses doesn't understand that right now, but hey, that's just what it is. Moses is an extraordinary prophet. He says, Bottom line, he says, Follow my orders. We look here and it says, uh, all, Almighty God knows all good and bad no matter what, how scattered the puzzle pieces of our life. And we heard an analogy one time, somebody talking about this, about the puzzle of a life. And if you look at just one little piece of that puzzle, it's very hard to discern what the puzzle is, right? Imagine if it's got dark sky and clouds. And the, the cool part, you ever do I don't know if you ever do like a thousand piece puzzle? Anybody ever do that? Like you go to the beach or something like that and you're just like, man, we're going to kill some time. What do you do? You do the outside first, the perimeter then you start looking for like, okay, that building's got lines on it. You got, you got lines? You got lines? Look for lines. Everybody look for lines. Okay. And then you build that little house. Okay, good. And then there's a whole section of dark water. You're like, okay, there, that's last for sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that eventually. But if all you got was that dark piece, right? What if in life you are in the midst of a dark piece and you look at it and you go, you know what? It's black. I got nothing. By itself, it means nothing to you. It just seems like a black thing. But when you put it into the puzzle and all the other pieces are in place and you drop that last one in, all of a sudden you're like, wow, look at the picture. How awesome is that? God's going to blow our mind one day when we understand the picture he's creating out of our lives. So many times it's the very chaos and the hopelessness of a moment that helps us to appreciate the fact that bottom line is God's going to form something beautiful. The more chaotic it seems, the more the pieces are everywhere, the more it seems more scattered, the more fearful. But as it comes together, then that coalesces into this image, you're like, man. The more chaotic, the more beautiful the picture becomes. And that's us, guys. If your life is chaotic right now, don't worry. When God brings it together and shows you, you're going to be like, what? What? Are you kidding me? That? All this was that? Dude, how awesome is this? Because all I saw was a mess, right? The more powerful the restoration, the more powerful the testimony, guess what? The greater impact it has. There are people that go out and speak now around the country who came from broken places, destroyed lives, drugs, alcohol, destruction, lost family members, all kinds of terrible things that they did. And they hurt other people and they hurt themselves. But bottom line is that God restores them. We see that testimony make an impact. I think about somebody like Paul in the Bible, right? There are other apostles in the Bible, but Paul stands out alone because God really used Paul in a dramatic way. As it comes to evangelists, Paul was really the greatest evangelist outside of Jesus Christ in the Bible. But Paul, of all the disciples, guess what he has the most to atone for? He lived a rough life. He was responsible for thousands of Christians being lined up and murdered. Men, women, and children. When Stephen was killed, the very man that was holding everyone's coats and cheering them on to murder him was Paul. So Paul's testimony, once God restored him and turned him into this preacher and said, you know what, I'm going to restore you. Now, it took a little bit of time for people to trust him. People were scared of Paul initially. They are like, whoa, I know that's the, the, isn't that the Saul of Tarsus, the one that was killing everybody? And I'm supposed to just open my arms and welcome him. Okay, right? But they learned, and his testimony contested, and what happened was God used him dramatically to change the world. The power of a testimony, man, the power of a testimony. There may be some of us here today, you know, and we come from difficult backgrounds. We may have a hard story, one that maybe we not even like to look at and we don't like to talk about. We don't share. Some of us have got situations in our lives that took place and we've never told anybody about them. I want you to know that God does not waste pain. He doesn't waste tears. And if you turn around and apply what God works in your life and allows to take place and you use it as a tool for his glory, God can take something that you used to hate and actually make it something that you appreciate. Amazing. When my wife told me that she didn't love me anymore and she wanted a divorce and our marriage was over and I was gut punched and I thought this is the, she's the one man to the end of my days. But you know what? I had gotten my eyes off the prize and I was over here focused on so many things that I made more important than my wife. And you know what? I didn't do right. The bottom line is what was beautiful was the fact that that time, that time in our life, I wouldn't at the time have ever wanted it to take place. But today I would not change it. Because when you sit down with a family that says you don't understand, it's over, we're done. And you go, okay, I can relate, I got gotcha. you, sure. Have you ever heard this, this, this? Yeah, yeah, heard those things, yeah. You ever lay in bed and feel like a cold breeze blowing between you? Oh, yeah. Week after week after week. I remember those days, yeah, absolutely. But for God to take that brokenness and bring it to restore to where it's better than it's ever been. And you see God do a miracle, you're like, what? So now I'm not gonna theoretically tell you what I think will work, but I can tell you, hey, you know what? I've seen God do this. The very scripture that we have here, it is proven in my life. I'm a testimony of what God can do. And when God takes and does that in your life, man, if you keep it to yourself, you're wasting this beautiful gift God's given you. Like I said, pain's not wasted. God delivers us out of it for a purpose, a greater purpose. The bigger the mess, the challenge, the more spectacular the restoration the more powerful it becomes through the captivity and then the deliverance of the Israelites. God is going to show his power to the Egyptian people and to the Israelite people as well. In verse number four, it says, But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may. Remember, I said he's looking for an opportunity. This is an opportunity. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you. He will not listen that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people from the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Lord's power will be revealed throughout human history through what's going to take place. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, time and time and time again, the Exodus story is shared again and again and again and again. God's power on display. Now, when God's power is on display, you know what? no doubt it impacts people and it changes people's hearts. And one thing we've got to be careful of and what the message is talking about today is the fact that there are going to be people that sometimes may be impacted by what they see, but they might necessarily not truly believe Right? There are people that even are, could be in our midst today. And they may look like us and act like us and dress like us and do all those things. But they not, may not be of us. Right? They can slide their way in. Now, they may not even realize it. You know, They might go, you know, I'm just caught up in the excitement. That would happen. That's what, exactly what happened in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 12, 38, it says this. And a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds even very much cattle. A mixed multitude. So it wasn't just Israelites that came out of Egypt. It was a mixed multitude of other people that got caught up in the thing, and you know what? They just started following along, and they came out with everybody else. Now, as this happens, remember, remember, when we talked about it a few weeks ago, about being careful who we spend our time around. Remember, who we befriend can be dangerous, right, because they can start to impact us. So what happens in in our walk with God, we need to be careful that we pay attention to who we are and our walk with Him as opposed to allowing the influence of the people around us to draw us away from God. This can happen. The the further we walk from God, the more impact people can have on us. The closer we walk, the less impact. Numbers 11. Okay, 11, 4, and 5. This is much further down the road, but look what it says. It says, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. Okay? So now what happens? The mixed multitude that made their way amongst the Israelites, and this is Numbers 11, 4 through 5. That mixed multitude that had made their way in looked the part, acted the part, went along with everybody else. They were right in the mixed. It says here that they that they were among them, they fell a lusting, a lusting. They got caught up in their flesh, and they started influencing the people around them. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? Look at our circumstances, man. Things aren't going so good. Moses, you hadn't made us promises, and we thought it was going to be great and peachy keen. And now all of a sudden this thing starts to stir up. In verse number five, we remember the fish, which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons, man. Remember those leeks? And the onions, oh, and the garlic, oh, man. Remember the garlic bread when we were in Egypt? Man, it was awesome, right? And what happens is we start believing, we start remembering so much of the past, we forget some of the things that are tough, and we have a tendency to remember just the good. That happens in relationships sometimes. We dated somebody years ago, and you're like, man, you couldn't wait to get out of the relationship, but 20 years later, you're like, you know what? They were kind of cool. Yeah, they were, yeah, they, they were kind of cool. At the time, you're like, get away, Right? Or like childbirth, right? With my wife, like when she's in the midst of childbirth, and I'm like, honey, honey, we're going to have three more, right, honey? Right? Mm, push! No, this is it. This is the last one. Right? In the midst of the pain, even the day after, honey, how many more kids do you want to have? This is it. I'm good. One is good. But give it a year, and that little baby's all cuddly cute and got the bows on the head and the whole thing, right? And you're like, honey, what do you think? We, we might be able to. Yeah, maybe one or two more. But it's that amnesia. That's what's affected them. But what happens is, (laughs) bottom line is, the enemy is always trying to work against us, right? Verse number five, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt, bring out the children of Israel among them. He says, look, the Egyptians are going to, every single Egyptian is going to believe that I am God. There will be no doubt by the time this thing wraps up, they're going to know who I am. Now, keep in mind, this is God speaking just to Moses and Aaron. He isn't talking to crowds. He isn't talking to the Israelites. He isn't talking to the Egyptians. He's just talking to them, right? This is what we might consider a pep talk, okay? A pep talk, like a coach might give before game time, right? Now, what is the purpose of a pep talk? To discuss the objectives, right, and to talk about the game plan. This is the objective, is to bring them out. The game plan is you're going to go and you're going to talk to Pharaoh. And he's going to, I'm going to say exactly what's going to take place. Here's the game plan. Follow along. He's looking at his two draft picks, right? All right, fellas, let's get together. We're getting ready to go in, man. It's going to be tough. They're going to be oppositions. They're going to be ready to take you down. Pharaoh's not going to listen. I'm just telling you up front, be ready. Be prepped. You guys ready? 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 Break, right? This is what's kind of what's going on here. He reiterates the same promises he's reiterated now over 10 times. He's told them what's going to happen. He reassures them and says, look, bottom line, what happens is not going to happen because of you. It's going to happen because of me. Remember, he keeps saying, I will bring them out. I will. I will. I will. And the Lord wants obedience. Just follow the game plan. Follow the game plan. Let's look at and see how they do in verse number six. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them. So did they. So not only did they go under the intention of being obedient, guess what? They were obedient. They actually did it because it says, and so did they. They actually did what they were supposed to do. In verse number seven, and Moses was fourscore years old, which means 80, and Aaron fourscore and three years old, 83 years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. Now, why would God interject their ages? Why would he interject their ages and tell us how old they are for that verse? Every word of God has a purpose. Nothing in there is by accident. There is no filler. It's specific, right? The limitations that most people like to use. Well, I'm getting too old. You know, I just don't know if I could do that. We all come up with all these justifications of why we cannot do things many, many times. And the limitation, the justifications that many people use, guess what? They do not apply in the work of God at all. I don't care what your issue is. I don't care what your problem is. All God's looking for, somebody willing, right? The reason our excuses don't work with God is because he's the one that does the work, right? The Lord does not require intelligence, praise God, (laughs) bravery, (laughs) social status, specialized skills, education, reputation, wealth, or talent. Guess what? None of those things are required for us to serve God because guess what? He has all of those things. Those are all him, right? All he requires is that willing heart. We can always find reasons to doubt ourselves, but the one thing we cannot doubt is God. If God calls you to do it, he will empower you to do it. Moses has got to come to that realization, and guess what? So do we. Stop looking at yourself and look at him. If you feel an inkling to do something, you go, well, gosh, I want, to, I want to impact this person. I want to change this part of my society. I want to do this. If God calls you to do it, he will empower you to do it. But what happens is we feel the pull and the compulsion, and we go, I should, I should, I should, but... There's this, and there's this, and there's this, and I've got this, and I don't know about this, and that I know this person wouldn't agree, and I'm, I'm going to get ridiculed, it, right? And by the time it's done, we'll talk ourselves out of it with a whole pile of justifications, which is exactly what Moses has been trying to do from the beginning. But he's finally getting to the point of obedience. And it says here, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. Okay? Notice, again, God is preparing them very, very specifically in what's going to take place. God is speaking with foreknowledge of upcoming events. He knows exactly what's going to take place. I want you to notice the word in verse number 9. Look what it starts with. It doesn't say if. It says, when, when, right? When this takes place, there's an assurance. This is going to happen. The Lord selects a miracle that Moses is familiar with, right? Remember back in Genesis 4, verses 2 through 4? What did he do? How did he ensure Moses and give him faith and help him to understand and trust that it was him? The very first miracle it was, he said, throw that rod upon the ground, and it became a snake. And that time he ran away in fear, but God called him back, and he picked it up by it, and it became a rod again, right? Right? So this is yet another example of the great care that God took in preparing Moses for what was expected of him in the future. Not only does God always have a plan, but guess what? He wants us to understand his plan. Again and again and again, he has reiterated to Moses exactly what's going to take place, and he's been very, very specific and deliberate in making sure he understands what is expected of him. Now, in our lives, if we ever feel confused or we feel like our lives are out of control. That is a glaring indicator that our relationship with God is not where it's supposed to be, okay? Because God is a God of peace and not of confusion, right? We know that 1 Corinthians 14, 33 teaches us that God is not the author of confusion, but we know who is, right? So if we feel our lives are out of control and chaotic, that means we're closer to one than than the other, if I'm close to the devil, guess what, man? My wife is going to be a chaotic mess, and it's going to be an emotional mess. I'm going to just live life like this through the roller coasters of good days and bad days again and again and again. But when I learn a consistency to trust God, I can suddenly have a sense of joy in the midst of sorrow. It's a beautiful thing in the way God works, but the closer we walk with him, the better it impacts us. He wants us to not only understand his will and his word, but to embrace it as well. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 7 through 10 says this, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Okay, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Bottom line is God says, look, there's a reveal. There's a truth that I have. And you know what? I want to reveal it to you for my glory, for you to serve me, which none of the princes of this world knew. When it talks about the princes of the world, that's talking about the devil and the demons, right? Which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord God, the Lord Lord of glory. He said, look, if the, devil and the de- if the devil and the demons had actually understood the power of the resurrection and the power of the crucifixion, they would have done all they could to stop it. But they thought that was victory, man. They were like, yeah, baby, get him on the cross. Dead, yes. Keep him in the tomb. Put that rock in front of it. Seal that thing. Put the guards in front of it. Man. Hold him down. We finally win. But, buddy, in hindsight, they're going, yeah. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. That, that's the moment, Right? Verse number nine, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have it entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You've heard people preach on this and tell you that that's that's an explanation of God talking about heaven. It's not, it's not. Is that true of heaven? Absolutely, I completely, 1 million percent agree that that is true about heaven. But this scripture is not talking about heaven. What it says is verse number 10, look at this. But God, praise the Lord. But God hath revealed them unto us by by His Spirit. For the Spirit teacheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. When it says here that we don't understand, I have not seen, ear hath not heard, it's saying, look, we cannot even understand what God has in this book. And if anybody's spending any time reading it, any time studying it, you go, man, you know what? The more I read it, the more I realize I don't know. And the more I unveil it, man, there's so much wisdom. here, It's unbelievable, and it's so many layers. It's a supernatural book. And God's saying, look, you cannot understand this supernatural book, but... But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. As His children with the indwelling Spirit of God living in you, God gives you the supernatural ability to read that book and see things that no one else can understand. And that truth which can speak to you and change your life and use you to do great things, it's all here. And the Spirit is what reveals it to us. And it says, the Spirit searcheth all things even to the deep things of God. He wants us to understand as he lay things out for, for Moses in this instance, he's doing the exact thing, same thing for you. As he calls you to work, he will show you exactly how to do it. Take heart. He's That's his desire, is to show us what to do before we take action. The question is, you know, will we be listening? As God calls, are we listening? If you think about listening, you have to be close sometimes to listen, right? If David and I are sitting and we're talking, and he's chatting with me, and we're this close, it's not a problem. But if David goes outside those doors, and he's talking in the same voice, probably gonna be a little more difficult for me to hear him. I'm really gonna have to strain, I'm really gonna put some effort in. But let's say David goes out in the parking lot. Let's go, he sits, he goes sit, sits in Fat Daddies, and he has a, a hoagie, right? And he's still talking to me. There's a problem there, I'm not gonna have any idea what he's talking about, right? Because what I've allowed distance to get between he and I, and now I can no longer hear him. Not that he's not still speaking, He's giving me the exact same information, but the problem is I'm so far away from Him that no longer can I hear. And in our relationship with God, it is very key that we daily spend time and effort and energy working on our relationship with Him. And if you're not, you are cheating yourself because guess what? He's speaking the whole time. God's always talking. He's always working. He's always around us. There's a nonstop fervent actions of God working around us. And so many times when we don't see it, it's because we are blind to it because we've allowed things to get in the way. And God's simply saying, you know what? Reveal, I want to reveal it to you through the Spirit, through the Spirit. You and I can quench the Spirit of God because of sin in our lives, because we're just distant from Him. We're focused on things that are so much that we believe are more important. And what's so crazy? The things that we think are so important on earth in heaven mean nothing. And the things in heaven that are so important on earth, we think are unimportant. But there will be a day when we'll stand in eternity and we'll be like, man, I wish I would have switched that around. And the scripture tells us again and again and again, learn from me, learn from me. Verse number seven or verse number 10. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did as the Lord. So as the Lord had commanded, and Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and his servants, before his servants, and he became a serpent. Exactly what God said was going to happen is happening right now in front of them. They were obedient, they followed through. Obedience is the key to successful service of God, right? This time Moses doesn't run away in fear, thankfully, right? See no mention of him scattering and screaming and running off. Obedience breeds faith. Because as we see God keep his promises, guess what? We increase in our confidence. We learn to trust him. Verse number 11. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. So the devil, I want you to realize that when there is a truth that is displayed, the devil always has a counterfeit. Always, always has a counterfeit. There is Christ, and what is there also in the world? antichrist, right? There's always a balance of of, a falsehood that goes with truth. Just consider that all of the false religions or distortions of the gospel that exist in the world today. There are many, many, many people out there that profess to be Christian that are not Christians. In our world today, throughout human history, the enemy has been very, very, very good at using deception to prey upon the weak in spirit. He is desperate to delegitimize God in the eyes of this world. We are all, and we live in a society today. There is no doubt about that. We've seen the attack upon God in schools, in public places. I mean, the fact that we have the freedom of religion, and if somebody prays after a game, a football game, they can get fired. Freedom. Freedom means you're free to do so. Yet they're sitting all these parameters, and it's all about trying to take the truth of God and twist it into a lie. Consider it how do you fight truth? With a lie. If someone tells the truth and you want to fight it, you can't go back with truth because you're in agreement. The only way to fight truth is with a lie. So we know as truth is given, there will always be a lie that comes along to fight it. And we see these snakes, man. He throws down his rod and it becomes a, and it becomes a snake. And then guess what? Those other guys, they throw it down and boom, they, go, they got snakes too. The deception, the truth. Genesis 3, 1, the Bible says, Yea, hath God said, these are the very first words of Satan himself. Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of, each, of every tree of the garden. Because Eve had just said, you know, we're not supposed to eat. And he says, has God really said that? Come on. And then verse number, th- verse number 4, he says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Straight up, God told the truth. And he says, ye shall not surely die. He just doesn't want you to be as God doesn't want you to have this great knowledge. He's trying to cheat you. Do you not realize there's something wonderful out there for you, Eve? Just one little nibble will fix it all. And we're here today in a world with a sinful nature because of that decision. And guess who was the instrument used to do it? Satan himself. Romans 1.25 says this, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who was blessed forever Amen. It serves a creature, right? Think about it. If you're going to take the truth of the Word of God, you're going to take it, first of all, you're going to, to, to attack it. You're going to say that it's not truth, that it's not real. Science is the answer. That's all the solutions have all got to be found through scientific method, which all now, the more the coolest thing is, the more the scientific method, the more they figure out, the more they realize it actually says what the Bible says. Everything happened from one moment. Time, energy, matter, and all. It came into existence in one moment. And God says, in the beginning, let there be life. God, I mean, God created the earth, for goodness sakes, Right? So we look at these instances, and what happens is it's attack on the truth, an attack on the truth. And God's saying, look, you know what? I've got a truth for you, but you've got to realize you've got to cling to this. You've got to cling to this because right here it says they worship the creature more than the creator. That's talking about the people that worship this planet. Think about the green initiatives in our world today. Save the planet. 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 I think the planet's just fine. We're the problem, right? It's us. Right? And bottom line is, God saying, look, you know what? You need to honor me. And we're going, no, 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 no. It's mother nature. Right? How many people go out and hug trees, right? You know what I'm saying? Fall in love with all the animals. We've got to do this to save this guppy that lives in the stream on the side of a mountain up in the, in the Adirondacks. we got to go, we've got to save that thing. We're going to cut down everything. We've got to protect, 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 protect. It all becomes about the creation, not the creator. Discount the Creator, love the creation. That's what our world is happening right now. These things are taking place. This was written thousands and thousands of years ago, yet these truths are evident in our life today, and we can see it so clearly displayed. God knew what was going to happen. He's not the least bit surprised. Bottom line is, He's warning Moses what's going to happen, and guess what God's doing through the Bible? He's warning us of what's going to happen. Again and again, Matthew 7, 15 says this, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Remember Exodus 12, 38? How did they end up in the crowd? Because they were dressed like everybody else. They acted like everybody else. They just went along. But inside they were ravening wolves. There are people that you may befriend. You go, man, they say the right things. They do the right things. But by their fruits you shall know them. Watch people's lives. Because remember the testimony. Testimony is how they live. The Bible talks about their conversation. That means their speech, but also their way of life. And if we look at their life, there'll be indicators if they're not real, not real. Second Corinthians 11, 13 through 14 says this, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Understand our enemy is crafty and subtle and deceptive, right? And it says here, For it says, They, for as such false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. They look like Christians. And it says in verse number 14, and no marvel, don't be surprised, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He can appear something beautiful, something alluring, something that can feel, gosh, this can't be wrong. It just seems so beautiful, so wonderful. See, because just because someone looks the part and acts the part does not mean they are one of us. And at the same time, same truth. If someone stands behind an open Bible and they stand and they preach, that does not mean they are telling the truth. See, it comes down to our personal responsibility. The reason I use so much Scripture in when I preach is because I'm trying to show you, look, I'm not coming up with this on my own. This is not my ideas. These are God's ideas. I'm going to reassure. If I have a question about something and I research it and find it, I'm going to show you where I got the answer. Because the answer doesn't come from here. The answer comes from him. The answer comes from there. This has to be the source of truth, and so if you're hearing someone preach, the reason why people get pulled into false teaching and false religions is because they do not know this word. Because if you know this word, the Bible will show to you the truth. First John four one through four it says, "Beloved, be it says, Bel- believe not every spirit, but by the spirits this is, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world." This, uh, the Bible is filled with references about false teaching. It is loaded. Old Testament, New Testament. God knew this was the truth. That's the tactic Satan always uses. And bottom line is this is simply saying it says, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Let the Spirit of God give you an indicator of what's what's going on. Sometimes you hear somebody, somebody tells you something, and just you just know it ain't right. You ever get that gut feeling? You know what I'm saying? You're just like, whoa, okay. Right. Get away. Right? And there are spiritual things that you know what? God's gonna give you an indication. The closer you walk with him, the more, loud that sound is going to go off. Bing, bing, warning, 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 warning. The closer you walk with God, the more you can recognize what's going on. Verse number two. Hereby, meaning this is how, hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of antichrist. Where have ye have heard that it should come? Look what it says. And even now, already is it in the world. It's here, man. The enemy is actively working right now. Every step in the right direction of truth is going to be countered by an attack to take us in the other direction. It's through deception. It's through, uh, through distraction. This life, kids, family, relationships, all these things can be used to divert us. Who's ever want to do your Bible time? You want to sit here, I'm going to read the Bible. You go, okay, okay, 7.30, I'm sitting down with my Bible, 7.29, mama! Dishwasher explodes, something, right? The next thing you know, you get caught up in that moment. The next thing you know, it's 10 o'clock, and you're like, I got to get, I got, man, you know what? I never even got to my Bible today. And God was going, you know what? I got something for you. But recognize, you got to give it a priority in your life. It's extremely important. We must always be mindful that our enemy is doing all that he can to draw us away from our precious Lord through our circumstances, our emotions, or even false teaching. Remember, the closer we are, the the more clearly we can hear God speaking to us. He desperately wants to deceive us, but God is going to reveal the truth. Verse number 12. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed their rods. How cool is that? What a beautiful picture of a truth, right? Truth always wins in the end. Justice is always going to prevail, right? Because our righteous God, our righteous and just God, guess what? He has ultimate authority. He is sovereign. It may not necessarily, you may not see justice here on earth sometimes, but I guarantee you there will be justice because the Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. And if you trust God and someone's wronged you in this life, let it go. And trust it to God, because you know what? He will make sure that they pay an appropriate price. And if God wants to break through to them and He can work in their heart and they're willing to give their heart to God, the Bible says all things become passed away, yet all things become new. God can turn them from who they were into a born-again child of God and use them for His glory. And we can carry grudges and bitterness and anger and all these things that we want to carry around that we believe for whatever reason is going to help us when in reality it's poisoning us day by day by day. Or we can let these things go and trust the Lord in the midst of circumstances that are frightening and overwhelming and scary. And we go, I don't understand everything, but I can trust him. Because when Aaron and Moses stand before them and they throw down that rod, I'm pretty sure Moses is like, you know, watch this. Bam. Ha. Check that out. And then all of a sudden they're like, bang, bang, bang. And he's like, oh, snap. That's like six snakes. Dang, man. Do you think what he's in the moment going, what? I didn't think that would happen. I thought that they'd throw that thing down. They'd all be like, whoa, the same way I reacted in fear. But they're like, oh, yeah, watch. There's a snake. But then they get swallowed up, right? And God's teaching a lesson here that truth will prevail. Truth will prevail. Verse number four of that first, of that first John it says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God is greater, man. God is greater. God is greater. Every time Satan stands against God, he always falls. He always falls. Look how he we went before Job, Whenever for the book of Job, when he went before God. God, what about your servant Job? The Bible says that the demons tremble in the presence of the Lord. They're scared, man, because they understand who He is. And if we understand who He is, We need not be fearful. We need not walk through life with doubt and trembling and worry. But so many of us, that's our day-to-day life. Where's our trust? Where's our faith? Moses is developing faith, but all he had to do at the beginning was lean upon that obedience. And we look here, it says in verse number 13 as we wrap up this, this scripture, it says, And he hardened Pharaoh's heart that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Harden their hearts. Because God has yet more things to display. Because if his, heart was hard, if his heart wasn't hardened, if his heart was softened then, there wouldn't be more plagues on the way. But guess what? There are nine more that are on the way. And God's going to display his glory to show the people and show us who he is. No matter how intimidating the opposition or how convincing the lie, we need not fear or fret because God knows the truth. And if we're close to him, Right? We can not only stand defiantly against the lies of this world, but we can actually stand back and watch God come along and devour our enemies with the rod of truth. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for the truth. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity we had to come to your house. And Lord, how we understand that, Lord, in the end, Lord, we will be victorious. There is a fight on this earth, no doubt, we're all facing an enemy that wants to destroy us, deceive us, and deter us. But, God, we have to put our faith in you, Lord, and to trust and hold on to the truth. And, God, if we'll do that, you will fight for us. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that you care for us more than we understand. Lord, you, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you for the love you have for us. Thank you, Lord, for the power that you display on this world. Thank you for working on our behalf, God, when we don't even know we need you. God, we can all look back at situations and circumstances where you protected us in the midst of a trouble and a problem that we did not even know you. I can look back on my life and think of instance after instance after instance where I should have been killed. And yet, Lord, you stepped in and saved me for a purpose. And God, I thank you so much that each one of us here is special to you. As Moses God, he was special to you. Lord, each one of us is special to you. Thank you that you know our name. You know the number of the hairs on our head and you have a special purpose for our lives. I would ask God that you'll help us, Lord, to embrace you. Help us to know you better so that we can't be deceived. Help us to trust you, Lord, that we might not be swayed by circumstances or what the world does around us. Help us to keep our eyes on you, Father. And as the waves and the winds blow, help us to walk by faith. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you've done. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, you know, I don't know. I know about God, but I cannot tell you today that I personally know God. 18 years ago, guys, when somebody asked me, they said, if you were to die today, are you sure you're going to go to heaven? Are you sure? I searched my heart and I knew for a fact that I was not. I was not sure. I thought I'm a good person, not a murderer, I'm not a thief, I'm I'm a good guy, but I don't know where I stand with God. The good news is that God knows us. He knows exactly what we've done and He's ready and willing to forgive us right where we are. We don't have to become some super person or, or, or do anything incredible. All we have to do is walk by faith and trust Him. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means call out to God by faith, trusting that he is who he says that he is, and he has the power to save us. When Jesus went on that cross and died that death, it wasn't because he deserved it. It was because we deserved it. It was sin that killed Jesus. It was sin that put him there. And it's sin that will take us to hell if we don't have a relationship with God. But the most wonderful news in the world is that God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price. He wants to pay the price that you owe to God. And he's doing it out of love. Sitting in your seat right now, nobody looking around. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here today and you want to receive that gift, you want to have that assurance in your heart that you've got a relationship with God, not just a knowledge of Him, but a relationship with Him. You can have it today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray in your seat. It doesn't take anything special, just a willing heart. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, if you don't know for sure you're on your way to heaven, you can pray this prayer. And if you mean it, not just the words, but God's listening to your heart because that's what matters to Him. He will save you. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, you pray this in your prayer and in your heart and your mind if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong. I'm amazed that you love me. I'm asking you by faith to forgive me of my sins, to pay the price for my debt and to save my soul. I'm asking you, Lord, to save me. I'm asking you to give me a home in heaven one day. Thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.